read about the first eight verses. I may be a little farther than that. Let's go through the verse 12 verses or so. And the former treatise I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence, or in, in not many days. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father had put into his own power, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, they beheld, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked up steadfastly toward heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white clothing, which also said, you men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Then they returned unto Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is from Jerusalem, um, a Sabbath day's journey. A student in seminary asked one of his Bible teachers one time, can you recommend a good book on the life of Christ? To which the seminary professor taken back a little bit, said, it. well, have you ever read the book by Luke? Which is a good question. Why is it we look outside the Bible for things that the Bible itself teaches? And if you want a, a study of the history of the church, there's no better place to start than the book of Acts. Because you really don't understand the nature and doctrine and understanding the early church until you read Acts. It's, it's impossible, really. We think of Joshua through Esther in the Old Testament as the historical books. Well, the book of Acts is the only truly historical book in the New Testament. It's titled Acts of the Apostles, but that wasn't necessarily its first title or even settled upon immediately. Others called it the Acts of the Holy Spirit or Acts of the Early Church. In fact, even the word Acts itself was kind of given to it. It's maybe the only thing that people agreed upon uh, early on, but that's because Acts, that word, was often used in books of this time. Acts of this particular man or this particular country or that particular group. So Acts seems to fit, and Acts of the Apostles later really seem to fit what the book is about. But I think it's interesting here. As much as the book is about the church, I think it's fascinating that its author is not an apostle himself. Luke, Paul's companion, writes in excellent Greek and has some knowledge of the Old Testament, and probably that comes from the Greek Septuagint, 
But he himself, writing the Acts of the Apostles, is not himself an apostle. Also fascinating is when it was written. Acts was written about three decades after the ascension of Jesus. The church has been established. It's, it's, it has enough history that Luke can write about how it developed, how it expanded from Jerusalem to the uttermost parts of the world. It, it ends in a really strange place. If you've ever read the book of Acts, all 28 chapters, you come to the end and kind of go, what? That's where you're going to stop? It's, it's a little bit odd. It's almost like the ending of Mark. It's just a strange way to end. And you, and you look at that and you start to wonder, what is he thinking? Well, it's not really known for sure what, what Luke was doing. Maybe he intended to write more and died before he was able to do so. Maybe he did write a third book, but that it was lost to us, not being inspired by the Holy Spirit. Either way, we don't have a third book and Acts ends with Paul on house arrest in Rome. And that's just kind of where it is. He's, he's not dead. And the story just comes to a close. Let me give you nine interesting facts about the book of Acts. It's the second longest book in the New Testament behind the Gospel of Luke. In fact, if Luke wrote Hebrews, and there's a possibility that he did, then actually a Gentile wrote more of the New Testament than any one Jew. Its scroll is 32 feet long. Can you imagine trying to read Luke as it was written? It emphasizes geography. There are 104 locations mentioned in, in the book, which becomes a bit of a problem, by the way. It's one of the reasons why in our Bible college they offered a class called Bible Geography. You kind of read about all these places Paul went, and you don't really know where they are. One of the plans I have in the future is to actually start visiting some of these places. Not, not to visit them just to visit and go, but to really stay there like maybe Paul did. Get a sense of what it must have been like for him to visit some of these locations. It also emphasizes people. Of all the books of the Bible, imagine there are 113 different people identified in the book of Acts. The main characters are not even people. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and Satan appear over and over again in the book. The main human characters are Peter and Paul. And they provide, amongst others, 26 addresses or sermons in Acts. So when you're reading 28 chapters, you're just reading a collection, really, of sermons. There's travel. Paul or Peter ends up somewhere, preaches a sermon. Luke writes it down. They travel, preaches a sermon. Travel, preaches a sermon. That's what you have. In fact, Acts provides a missions manual of sorts. The motives, the means, and even the methods of missions are given here. And personal evangelism is a major theme of the book. Now, consider with me three ideas. Three simple ideas and we're done tonight. All right? Follow me. Okay? Number one, Acts provides an important bridge between the Gospels and the Epistles. It's a continuation of the Gospel of Luke. Look at verse 1 again. The former treatise, or the first account. That's what it actually reads in the original language. The first account, or the first word I made, O Theopolis, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, 
Now the word first here presumes to the Greek-speaking people that Luke intended to write more than two books. Uh, you wouldn't only use the word first if you had at least three books in mind. That's why some people think Luke intended to write a third book, but wasn't able to do so. The word first there, protos, has the idea of more than three, three or more. But he addresses this to Theophilus. And I was talking to my mother about this. So what's a Theophilus? Who's Theophilus? What's his name mean? Well, what's Theos? Somebody tell me. What is Theos? That's God. And what's Phyllis? Love. Phileo, right? So Theophilus means lover of God, or somebody would say maybe someone loved by God. But this is the one who receives both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. I don't think it's a metaphor. I think he's talking about an actual person because the name was very common, even beginning in the 3rd century B.C., and it's likely Theophilus is Luke's patron who was uh, financing the writing and, and distribution of his books. Luke's gospel is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. In fact, go back to verse 1 and notice again, he said, the former or the first word I made, Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. So what Luke is emphasizing is the first ministry of Jesus. Or what Jesus did at the beginning, that, that he began the beginning, his continued ministry through, through himself in Luke is now through his apostles in the book of Acts. So what Luke is the beginning of Jesus's ministry, Acts is a continuation of Jesus's ministry. It, it's the second half. So here we have a new ministry being introduced, verse 2, until the day he was taken up. After that, through the Holy Ghost, he had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. Luke now refers to the ascension as the divide between Jesus' two ministries. Have I lost you? Follow this, okay? Luke, the, book of, the gospel of Luke, is Jesus' first ministry. There's a second ministry of Jesus, a second half, to the story, and that's also the ministry of Jesus, but it's through his apostles. So the first ministry, the Gospel of Luke, is personal and physical. It's talking about Jesus being on the planet. That's verse 2, the first part, and then all of verse 3. And if you think back, how does Luke begin? How does Luke begin? With what? With... Uh, Luke 1, Luke 2. Well, the genealogy, and then what? What do you have? Luke 2. You know, okay, hold on. Linus, Charlie Brown, right? Charlie Brown, I'm going to tell you the meaning of Christmas. There were in the same country, shepherds. You remember this now? The way we learn our Bible is through television. That's the lesson for tonight, kids. Yes, right? No, the, the truth here is Luke 2 is the beginning, is the birth of Jesus. What's the end of Luke? It's in in. Luke 24, 51, it's the ascension of Jesus. So you have Luke is, is talking about the physical ministry of Jesus while he's on the earth. So the first part now includes time between the resurrection and the ascension. That has to be added in. So it's not just between his birth, death, resurrection. It's between his birth and the ascension. So Jesus now in verse 3 is demonstrating that he really did rise from the dead. He appeared to them multiple times 
That's what Luke 24 teaches us. And he does so here, it says, over a 40-day period. He wasn't with them the whole time as when he was uh, their rabbi. They were his disciples. He's just with them intermittently, but it, he demonstrates to them that he really did rise from the dead. And while he's with them, he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. You see that here in verse 3. He showed himself alive after his passion, speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, this kingdom of God, I think, is different from the physical kingdom Israel expected because of Old Testament prophecies. They expected a messianic kingdom to appear on the scene when Messiah comes. And that kingdom... I think, was present on earth when Jesus was here, but then delayed when he left. There is a time when there will be a thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. That kingdom is coming. That's what we pray about, I think, thy kingdom come. Even so come Lord Jesus. John ends the book of Revelation. But the spiritual kingdom transcends dispensations. I think the spiritual kingdom actually goes even back into the Old Testament. Now, that second ministry then is different because Jesus is working in the first ministry physically on the earth. What's he doing in his second ministry? He's working through the apostles and really through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. He is the one that comes to comfort the apostles, the disciples in their work, to be a comforter for believers. In fact, even the followers are different. In Luke, what are they called? They're called disciples. What are they called in Acts? They're called apostles. We'll notice what that means in just a moment. So the second ministry of Jesus, the first ministry being physical, that's the Gospel of Luke. The second ministry being spiritual involves the commands that Jesus gave from his first ministry. So all the time Jesus is with them on the earth, he is commanding those disciples what they must do, how they must live, what they are to teach. Then he, at the very end, gives them a commission. And if you read the end of each of the Gospels and Acts, they all talk about this commissioning that Jesus gave. And he says, what I taught you now, when that first ministry, now you are to teach those who will follow after you. And so that is what I think is happening here. And that theme is very important in Acts. In fact, this continuation of Jesus' teaching ministry through the apostles is what the epistles seek really themselves to explain. They are explaining the second ministry of Jesus through the Holy Spirit and through the local church to the world. So, Acts then forms this bridge between the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament. We have that down. We all understand that. Now let's move then to the second idea. Because it is a bridge between the Gospels and the Epistles, Acts is constructed according to the missional command of Jesus in his second ministry, in the second half, in what he's going to do through his apostles. So this is point number two. Acts' outline is constructed according to the missional command of Jesus to the church. So the restoration of the expected Jewish kingdom is delayed. So they're assembled. Verse 4, look at the text. Look right down at your text. They're assembled together with them, commanded. Jesus commanded that they should not depart from Jerusalem, 
but wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, you have heard of Me. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Not many days hence. By the way, and fire, I think, is what he, exactly how he said it. When they were therefore come together, they asked Him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And He said, verse 7, it is not for you to know the times and the seasons which the Father had put into His own power. So what is Jesus telling them to do? He's telling His apostles to wait for the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem. This, this is actually pretty easy to understand. It's, it's just like mom or dad telling the kids to clean the room. I mean, go back to Jerusalem and just sit there and wait. And the Holy Spirit's coming, the promise of the Father. This is the one Jesus had told them about. You can go back and read John 14 through 16, where Jesus made very clear that there was one coming, the paraclete, the one who would come alongside them, who would indwell them, who would teach them what they are to say and guide them as they should go. This one is coming. And this is the one that John told them would come. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, this isn't their interest at this point. What do they want? So while they're being told that this comforter is coming, I, I, I'm just sitting here trying to imagine what they're thinking. Do they really think he's about to leave? I don't think so. I, I think by the time Luke is writing this, of course, everybody knows he, he ascended to heaven and, and left. But I think the disciples are not thinking that he's about to leave. So what value, what, what value do they place in the comforter? I don't, I don't think they think much of it because I have Jesus. He's right here. But Jesus is telling them, I'm going to go away. Maybe they were thinking that was the cross to the resurrection. You know, he was gone for three days. He's back. Yes. I don't know. But their interest is in the restoration of national Israel. So they ask point blank, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And the answer is yes, but not right now. The physical kingdom comes with a physical king. And the physical king is about to leave. But the promise, as we'll note, is that he is coming back. So Jesus tells them they are not to know the timing of the restored physical kingdom. Nobody knows, including uh, Tim LaHaye, right? He doesn't know. He didn't know. I read all of his books, and I was very excited about it. In fact, I I got I loved I enjoyed them so much. I told people I was writing my own series of books called Right Behind, just a little different view of eschatology. I've heard somebody else pick up on this and say this. My joke, yeah, you stole that. That's okay. I read that and got to the last book, and I was very excited. And you know what he did? He basically just quoted the scripture. It was just basically the Bible which is great and fine. And I, I don't know what I'm saying it. It sounds like I'm denigrating that. Like I bought, But I bought a book thinking it would be fictional and yet somewhat biblical. And instead, he just gave me the Bible with little bits of pieces of ideas kind of thrown at it. It was terrible. It ruined the whole series. I was so disappointed. And if you haven't read them, I probably discourage you from reading them. But I'm just telling you, it was really bad. It, I, I want my money back is the kind of how bad I Nobody knows when the physical kingdom is going to be restored. Um, not to get deep into eschatology, but if you, if you understand that at the return of Jesus onto the earth, which I think is going to be at a different location than the Mount of Olives, I think he comes to the Mount of Olives like 
like a king or like a conquering general, um, and then comes to the Mount of Olives and places himself standard there. But if you if you understand, I think what's happening there, that doesn't necessarily even occur at the time of his second coming. There's there's a, a break in time. There are these breaks in time that the Old Testament kind of hints at that that just aren't really clear. So at some point after his coming, he he inaugurates his physical kingdom on the earth, which Revelation says is going to last a thousand years. It says it six times in one chapter. I don't know how clear it can be. But, but Jesus says that's all in the Father's power. That's what the Father knows. There's a delay in the physical restoration of the kingdom. Rather, what Jesus is doing is he's commissioning his disciples to spread his gospel around the world. Verse 8, you will receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now this is power that enables. This isn't authoritative power. This is enabling power. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Jesus is saying that's authority. All authority. That's authority power. You will receive power. I don't have divine authority. Sorry, Pentecostals, Charismatics. I do not have divine authority. I have divine empowerment through the Holy Spirit. I'll receive power. You'll receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you for this task. What does it say in verse 8? You will be what to me? A witness to me. That's the promise of the Spirit. He indwells the apostles and empowers them to be witnesses to him. And so you read through the gospel, or the, the gospel, you read through the book of Acts, and you find this idea of witness everywhere you go. So it's the commissioning to be a witness in chapter 1. Chapter 2, or at the end of chapter 1, Judas is replaced because he lost his place. He was a traitor, right? So he's gone. He's dead. So they replace Judas. And then the apostles are witnesses in Acts 2. Peter is a witness in Acts 3. The apostles witness Christ before the Sanhedrin in Acts 5. Peter tells Cornelius that he himself, Peter, is a witness of the ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus in Acts 10. Paul says he's a witness of the resurrection of Jesus in Acts 13. By the way, how does Paul, how did Paul see the resurrected Christ? Anybody know? How did he see the resurrected Christ? I think on the road to Damascus is when he saw the resurrected Christ. Right? And it was a blinding light, and he had some eye trouble from that. Maybe it's in, in Galatians, there's an idea of Arabia, maybe there as well. Paul says in Acts 26, Jesus told him, You will be a witness for me before kings. So this idea of witness is there, and their witness would gradually spread through the earth. It starts in Jerusalem. It'll go out to the regions just around Jerusalem and then farther out and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. In fact, this is, my friends, I believe the outline to the book of Acts. You want to know how Acts is constructed? You look at Acts 1.8 and what do you have? In chapters 1 through 7, the ministry to Jerusalem. In chapters 8 through 12, the ministry in Judea and Samaria. And in chapters 13 through 28, the ministry to the uttermost. That, that really does simply give us the outline. Now, there are others who've gone in and they've made uh, different outlines to Acts and maybe you follow some of those. But I think there's a pretty simple way of understanding the book of Acts. Now, because Acts 
is about the missional work of Jesus in this dispensation. At this time, remember, it's the second ministry of Jesus. The first ministry of Jesus was physical on the earth. He himself was doing the ministry. The second ministry of Jesus that Luke is talking about is a ministry where Jesus is gone and the disciples are doing the ministry. The apostles are doing the ministry. They're the ones who have been sent out to do that work. So that's Jesus's ministry through them, through the Holy Spirit, through the church. Understanding that, that, that Acts is about the missional work of Jesus, his second ministry. Then Acts is about the church obeying the command of Jesus to be witnesses for him. So this is point three. Acts is about the church obeying the commands of Jesus. Jesus leaves his followers with a mission. He leaves. Verse nine. Do you feel like sometimes you're, when you're hearing somebody speak, probably not at church, it ought to be true. You, you say more, please give me more. Uh, it ought to be true at church, but it's not always the case, right? But you, you rarely want to read a book or watch a video where you go, less, give me less, right? I, I think of the disciples are standing there. Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times of the seasons which the Father has put into his own power, but you shall receive power and you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the earth, and bye. I'm out. Mic drop, you know, that's the modern vernacular. Jesus is gone and he ascends to heaven. He's gone. He's, when he had spoken these things, while they're looking at him, he's taken up and a cloud receives him out of their sight. So any chance of the physical kingdom ends right there. You know, maybe I didn't quite understand you, Jesus. Did you say... You know, the physical kingdom is not coming. Can you clarify that? Could you make it any clearer? Yes, you can. He leaves. Well, that's not good. You know, they're all standing there. I can't even imagine all the thoughts going through all their heads about what, they, what they've just witnessed. So they're just, they're just standing there looking into the air. And Jesus disappears, riding a cloud into the heavens. So the idea here in the ascension is to really focus in on the words Jesus spoke to them prior to that ascension. The emphasis is on his mission, on their mission, on them serving him, being his eyes and ears, being his feet and his, and his mouth to speak the gospel to the nations. Three decades after Jesus ascended to heaven, Luke is now writing to remind a church, this is what you're supposed to do. In fact, he's writing to people who may have never met an apostle themselves. May have never talked to John or Peter or James. May not, not have known any of these people in the early church. There are no longer disciples here. There are people who were sent out on a mission in the established churches. And now Luke is writing to those churches, reminding them, you have a mission. You have a divine obligation. And the church then begins its mission. And notice here, I think this is crucial, begins its mission with a promise that Jesus is going to return. That's where all of it begins. Luke could have easily left this part out. But you, you can't leave it out when you realize how crucial it is as a motive for ministry. 
And while they're looking toward heaven, two men, right? These are angelic beings because we know they're in white clothes. So Luke is connecting this now back to his gospel, the men at the tomb. Two men are standing there in white clothes and they say, why all of you Galileans, why are you looking up into heaven? This very Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. He is going to descend to the earth. Probably not over three and a half years, like Robert Dundry said, right? He thinks the sign of Jesus in heaven is that he descends for three and a half years. You know, you just see him every morning, every night. There's Jesus in heaven. I don't think that's what he means here. But he will descend to the earth. Jesus will come back with the clouds. In fact, remember what he said to his disciples in Luke 21, 27, you will see me coming with the clouds from heaven. Or he told the Sanhedrin when they're about to crucify him or turn him over to the Romans, he told the priests in Mark 14, you will see me coming with the clouds. And to the church in Jerusalem, and I almost think of them as our Adam and Eve spiritually, as it were. This is where the church begins. In Jerusalem, this is the first church. It begins its mission. They go back to Jerusalem according to Jesus' command to them. It's about three quarters of a mile from where they are in Mount Olive back to Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And now they just wait because they, he said, wait till the Holy Spirit comes and now you'll have your task. Be a witness to me, to the world. So we read the book of Acts and what do we get? We get a couple of things. We get reminded that we have a goal. We have a task. One of, one of the blessings of living in our area that many other people don't have, friends, is that the world is coming to us. Do you, do you realize how blessed we are because of that? The world is coming here. We have people from all over this world that live in the neighborhoods around us. When I moved to Cary 19 years ago, I started the church, Cary was 95% white. That isn't why we picked the area. I really didn't even know that demographic statistic until I moved here. But Cary was 95% white. It isn't like that anymore. I, I even have pastor friends who live down in Apex or Holly Springs, other places, kind of out a little bit away from where we are here. And they go, we just noticed our first Indian family in our neighborhood. We, we, just, we just noticed the first Chinese family walking down the sidewalk in our neighborhood. Let me just tell you something. I'm the only walker besides Becky. Becky and I are the only walkers in our neighborhood. And there are 1,200 homes there. I can tell you this, though. There are a whole bunch of people with the last name of Patel. Lots of them. What a blessing that is. Because now I have an opportunity. I have a And you have an opportunity. We can take the gospel to the nations just by walking across the street, just by going next door, just by talking. I remember there was, back when we, our kids were little, there was this lady, and she was, she was walking down the sidewalk, and she was dressed um, in clothing from a different uh, culture. And, and I don't know why Aaron got this in his mind, but he was convinced that, that she was unsaved. And he decided he was going to witness to her. And he was, I don't know, six maybe, seven, probably six, five, in that age range. Right where children are still willing to talk to strangers about anything. You know, about the same time he was willing to stand up in front of an entire plane and sing Onward Christian Soldiers about that time. Okay. He did that too. 
mean, full, full, full throat, just to the whole plane's delight, you know. He went up to her and said, Lady, do you know God? And she said, yes, or something to this effect. And he said, no, wait, you know, he's a little confused. And then he wanted to know if she was an idolater. Do you worship idols? Now that, that's, that's more brazen than I would be. Her answer was yes. She worships a different God. What an opportunity we have. Folks, the, you read through the gospel, the gospel. I keep saying the gospel of Acts. You read through the book of Acts. And what you find here is a reminder over and over again that we have been empowered by the indwelling Holy Spirit to take the gospel to the nations. And when you get to the epistles, it's just going to reinforce how we do that, what, how we teach them after they come to Christ, how we organize as a church. All these ideas are going to be there. But Acts is just sit, sitting out for us plainly. This is our mission. So let's go do it. Let's go do it. Let's pray. Lord, help us now as we have our time of prayer.